There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast contains violence, adult themes, and material that may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. True North True Crime is produced on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh Nations. The folklore surrounding the existence of ghosts transcends cultural, geographical, religious, and generational ideologies. The idea that a soul or a spirit of a dead human or animal can appear to the living is something that has been debated since the first thing went bump in the night. Perhaps you've had an experience, something that you saw that you couldn't explain. Possibly it was a sound or a voice that came out of the darkness when you knew you were alone. Or maybe it was just a feeling, a cold breeze that cut through your bones that no one else felt. A shiver. In the year 1878, multiple people in the small town of Amherst, Nova Scotia, experienced a haunting that lasted for more than a year. While many of the townsfolk witnessed the unexplainable phenomena, one teenage girl was the victim of a particularly malevolent spirit. Tonight, we present the haunting of Esther Cox. And you are listening to True North True Crime. everyone and welcome to episode 35 of True North True Crime. Thanks for joining us. Before we start this week's episode, we have to shout out some people who bought us some coffees this week. A huge shout out to Kayla, Jasmine S, Michelle E, Ronnie, and an anonymous donor. If you would like to buy some coffee for our next episode, you can do so at buymeacoffee.com/tntcpod. Or if merchandise is more your thing, we have True North True Crime shirts and sweaters available at our Tee Public store. We will link that in our show notes. As always, we are super grateful for all of you for joining us each episode as we bring attention to missing people and victims of violent crime in Canada. 
For tonight's episode, we are going to do something a little different. We are both big Halloween fans. We love the season, paranormal stuff, and scary movies. And as some of you may remember, last year for Halloween, we presented the story of Agnes Bings, who was murdered in 1899 in Victoria, British Columbia. So with it being Halloween month, tonight we are going to be talking about a true story of possession that occurred in the 1870s in Nova Scotia. We just wanted to take a quick break from the cases that we normally cover to do something a little different and in keeping with the season. We will, of course, be back with our regular content in two weeks. We have quite a few new cases we are working on, so if ghost stories are not your thing, go ahead and skip this episode and we will catch you in a couple of weeks. Tonight we are talking about the haunting of Esther Cox. This story is also known as the Great Amherst Mystery. This case took place between June 1878 and November of 1879 in the village of Amherst, Nova Scotia. We put this episode together using some historical documents and news articles. We also used the book The Haunted House, written by Walter Hubble in 1879. Walter was a local actor who claimed to have lived in the house for six weeks while the haunting took place. In the 1870s, Amherst, or Amherst, Nova Scotia, was a village of about 3,000 people. Amherst is located on the Bay of Fundy, a body of water known for its incredibly high tides. Amherst is located on the traditional territory of the Mi'kmaq people. In the 1870s, Amherst was doing well. The village benefited from being an important stop on the railroad that connected Halifax to Montreal. This created an economic boom that brought shipbuilding, factory work, and mills to the area, earning it the nickname Busy Amherst. The town itself had four churches, saloons, dining halls, a shoe factory, a music hall, and an academy. Those that were doing well during this time built many Victorian and Edwardian-style homes that lined the dirt roads of Amherst. These homes had manicured lawns and gardens with trees, flowers, and plants of rare varieties, signifying the wealth of the inhabitants. On Princess Street was one of these homes. The two-story home was painted a bright yellow. It had a small front yard that extended to the back of the home near the stable. From the outside, the home was pleasing to the eye. Inside the home, on the first floor, was a basement cellar. On the main floor was a kitchen, a dining room, a sewing room, and a front parlor with a beautiful bay window. Upstairs were four small bedrooms, two facing the street and two facing the back of the home. There was a coziness about the home that was undeniable and the pride that went into the house by its owners was obvious. Inside this home lived a shoemaker by the name of Daniel Teed. Daniel Teed was a well-respected and trusted person in the community. It is said that he never owed a dollar to anyone if he could help it, and that he would help others whenever he could. He lived with his wife Olive and their two small boys. Olive is described as a small but mighty woman who works tirelessly from morning until evening, tending to their animals, their home, and their children. Like her husband, Olive was admired and respected in the community. 
Daniel Teed and his wife Olive would also have boarders staying with them from time to time, including members of their extended family. Early in the spring of 1878, Olive's two sisters came to live with them in Amherst. Their names are Jane Cox and Esther Cox. Jane was 22 years old and described as beautiful and confident. In a very short period of time, she had many romantic suitors lining up to get to know her. She was also popular among the women of the town, with many wanting to be in her social circle. She regularly attended the Townsend Church, which was a big part of the social society in Amherst at the time. Esther Cox was Jane and Olive's youngest sister, the youngest of six sisters, in fact. In 1878, she was 18 years old, having been born on March 28, 1860, in Upper Stewiak, Nova Scotia. Esther was born smaller than most babies and was raised mostly by her grandmother. Sadly, her birth mother died just three weeks after she was born. Having spent most of her early childhood years with her grandmother, Esther developed old-fashioned sensibilities. As she grew into her teens, she was often referred to as an old lady due to her likes and traditional views, but she was also known to be highly susceptible to other people's opinions and influences. Physically, Esther is described as short and stout with curly, shoulder-length brown hair and large blue-gray eyes. She had a pale complexion and a rounded face that often had an expression that could be read as saying, Why do you stare at me so? I cannot help it if I am not like other people. Esther was popular in Amherst. She was kind-hearted and honest. This attracted many people to her, but it was her playfulness that made her popular among children. You could often see her playing games with groups of kids in parks or on lawns. Esther also had a cheeky side, often responding to her sister Olive's demands with eye rolls or exasperated puffs of breath. Esther's father moved to the United States to be with his third wife, thus leaving his daughters to figure out life for themselves in Nova Scotia. This is why they moved to Amherst, to live with Daniel and Olive. Like many people, Esther dreamed of falling in love and being swept away in some giant romantic gesture. After dinner each evening, she enjoyed going for a walk and then sitting on the front porch until the moon came out before retiring to bed for the evening. On some of these evenings, she would be visited by a man by the name of Bob McNeil. Bob McNeil was a young man who worked at the shoe factory where Daniel Teed worked. While he was known as a shoemaker, not much else is known about Bob. Bob was new to town. But this much is clear. Esther's sisters did not like Bob. They all had a very negative opinion about him. Most believed that he was just a financially poor man looking to take advantage of a woman whose family could take him out of poverty. One evening in August 1878, after dinner, Esther put on her favorite brown dress and sat on the front porch hoping for a visit from Bob. She sat there until the sun set and the stars came out, but Bob did not arrive. She quickly got changed for bed, but then went down to the basement of the house and drank a pint of buttermilk. While down there, she saw a large black rat. This was odd as the home never had vermin. She went to bed that evening upset and hurt about Bob. Her sister Jane lay in the bed across from Esther and stated, You are foolish to be upset about the likes of Bob McNeil. To which Esther responded, Mind your own business, Jane. The next day, Esther was in a foul mood both hurt and angry that Bob had seemingly snubbed her. 
Eventually, she confided in her sister Olive that she was upset about Bob. Olive then stated, I feel it in my bones that trouble is in store for us, and all through Bob McNeil. Now do be a good girl, and take my advice, and never invite him to call again. Because I tell you, trouble is coming to you through that young man. I feel it in my bones. On the evening of August 28, 1878, Esther would learn just how dangerous Bob McNeil was. After supper, Esther made her way out to the porch as usual. On this evening, clouds had begun to gather on the horizon, and there was a dampness in the air indicating an impending rainstorm. As Esther sat on the porch, a carriage made its way up to the front gate. Out hopped Bob McNeil. He looked at Esther and said, Put on your hat and jacket and go for a ride with me so I can explain why I didn't call on you last night. So she did. She quickly got changed and hopped into his two-person, single-horse-drawn buggy. Bob drove the carriage through Amherst, but then took a road that led them out to a marsh. As they approached a wooded area, the rain began to pour down on both of them. Bob's demeanor shifted. He stopped the buggy and pulled out a pistol that he had in his pocket. He pointed the gun directly at Esther and demanded that she get out of the buggy or he would kill her where she sat. Esther refused his commands. She demanded that he get back in the buggy and take her home. But Bob placed the pistol against her temple and made further demands and threats. What else happened in the woods that day may never be known. But we do know that the sound of an approaching carriage scared Bob. He got back into the buggy and drove Esther home at a breakneck speed. Esther arrived at the cottage on Princess Street, soaked and terrified. Bob rode off never to be seen again. Over the next four days, Esther remained traumatized and depressed. She became gaunt in appearance and began to roam the streets of Amherst aimlessly. Every night, she would cry herself to sleep. Seven days later, on September 4th, Jane was awoken by Esther's screams from the bed beside her. Esther claimed that she had heard something under the bed. The sisters searched and found nothing. The next night, it happened again. This time the two sisters both heard a rustling sound coming from a small green sewing box under the bed. They pulled the box out from under the bed and placed it in the center of the room. Suddenly, the box jumped a foot into the air and then dropped. Not once, but twice. They opened the box, but only sewing materials were inside. Confused, they both went back to sleep. The following evening, Esther became feverish and went to bed early. That night, around 10 p.m., Esther woke screaming and yelling, I'm dying. I am dying. Her sister Jane quickly lit the lamp. Esther stood in the middle of the room with her hair standing on its ends. Her face was swollen and blood red. Her eyes were bulging from their sockets. Daniel Teed and Olive quickly ran into the room. They guided Esther back to the bed when she suddenly began to swell. Her hands, feet, body, and face began to inflate at a rapid rate. Her face was red, but her skin was ice cold to the touch. As the whole household gathered around Esther's bed, there was a loud clap of thunder. They all looked out the window, only to see a clear and starry night. At that moment, bedsheets began flying around the room coming to gentle resting spots on the floor. 
Three more loud thunder reports rocked the house in quick succession, and then abated. In the bed, Esther returned to her normal appearance and fell into a peaceful sleep. The rest of the family retired for the evening. This may have been the end of the night for everyone, but it was just the beginning of the haunting that would terrorize the family. We're now going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and then we will return to the haunting of Esther Cox. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And we are back. The evening before had been a huge shock for the family, and they were all struggling to make sense of what they had experienced. In fact, the next day, Daniel T., the head of the household, paid a visit to the local physician, Dr. Carwright. While the doctor laughed it off at first, he did agree to sit with Esther for a few hours during the night. That evening, the doctor arrived to find Esther in bed. The family gathered around her as the doctor examined Esther. He came to his diagnosis. He believed that she was suffering from nervous excitement brought on by some kind of shock. Just as he gave his diagnosis, the bedsheets began to slowly rise off of the bed. The doctor looked at the family in astonishment and proclaimed, How wonderful! Just then, three thunderclaps came seemingly from under Esther's bed. In the silence after the thunder, the group gathered in Esther's room began to hear scratching on the wall, as if a sharp object was being used to carve the wood. The following words appeared on the wall above her bed. Esther Cox, you are mine to kill. This was followed by more thunder and large chunks of plaster falling from the ceiling until it all stopped. The doctor left with a promise to return the next night. Good to his word, the doctor returned the next night to administer a sedative to Esther. He believed that if he could calm her nerves, she could have the strength to fight whatever was ailing her and causing these odd manifestations. He was wrong. That night, the thunderclaps started again, and this time, rather than coming from underneath the bed, they seemed to be coming from the roof. The doctor ran outside to see if anyone was hammering on the roof. But there was no one there. Three weeks later, the sounds and the possession continued. Only now it had become the talk of the town. Other folks in Amherst 
had heard the thunderclaps coming from the home on Princess Street, and word had gotten around that Esther Cox was possessed. In fact, people began to gather outside the house to catch a glimpse of the possessed girl. One night stands out in particular and may shed light on what was really happening with Esther. She rose out of bed like a zombie, hands out and stiff, and in a low and calm voice, she told everyone in the room about the night that Bob McNeil had assaulted her. As time went on, they learned two things about the possession of Esther Cox. The first was that the sounds and events would only occur when Esther was in the home, whether it was day or night. They also learned that they could communicate with the entity by asking it questions to which it would respond with knocks. One knock was a negative response, three knocks were positive, and two knocks were unsure. They even used the alphabet to help the entity to spell words by knocking when they came to a certain letter. News of the Amherst haunting brought some notable and respected people to town. A month after the manifestations began, a clergyman by the name of Dr. Edwin Clay came to witness things for himself. His theory was that Esther had received such a high degree of trauma during the attack by Bob McNeil that she had become a battery that shot electricity or lightning. This is what he believed was causing the thunder. He also believed that everything that was happening was real and not a hoax as some had began to speculate. Reverend R.A. Temple of a local church also came to the house to see what was happening. While sitting at the kitchen table in broad daylight, he claimed to watch a bucket of cold water come to a boil as it sat on a table. He could not come up with any explanation for what was happening. Others were not as kind. Many townsfolk, including Dr. Nathan Tupper, who did not spend any time with Esther, believed that she had the power to manipulate people. The overarching opinion was that Esther could mesmerize people into seeing and hearing things that were not there. Despite all of the theories, people continued lining up outside the home to catch a glimpse of anything irregular. But one day, the manifestations stopped. Esther became sick with diphtheria. She spent two weeks in bed, recovering, with no incidents occurring. She was then sent away to stay with some relatives as she convalesced from the diphtheria. During her two weeks away, she did not have any issues. There were no more manifestations either with Esther or at the house on Princess Street. However, things did not stop for long. After Esther returned from her stay away from the home, she became obsessed with the idea that the ghost wanted to burn the house down. This is when the fires began. On one evening, the ghost allegedly set a fire under Esther's bed, which was quickly put out. Lit matches also began to fall from the ceiling, followed by more thunder sounds. The following morning, Esther and Olive were working in the kitchen together when they began to smell smoke. The two sisters stood for a moment in fear and looked towards the door that led to the basement. Smoke slowly trickled out from the edges of the doorframe. Olive grabbed a bucket of water and ran down the cellar steps. In the back corner of the basement was a barrel filled with wood chips. The barrel was fully engulfed with flames. Olive doused it with her small bucket of water, but it did not quench the fire. Olive and Esther ran out into the street yelling, Fire! Fire! At that moment, a man was passing by. 
He was unknown in the town. He quickly ran into the house and doused the flames with a throw rug. After extinguishing the fire, he walked out of the house and disappeared into the gathering crowd, never to be seen again. News of the fire began to upset most of the people in the village. Fires were bad news in a village made of wood houses. A simple fire coupled with strong winds off the bay could reduce the town to ashes in a very short period of time. The family all believed that a ghost had set the blaze, but the fire marshal was of the belief that it was Esther who had set the fire. Dr. Nathan Tupper, who believed the whole thing to be a hoax, suggested that Esther be beaten with a bullwhip in order to stop the incidents from occurring. Luckily for Esther, this was very illegal and no one condoned this course of action. Daniel Teed was scared for his wife Olive and their two children. He feared for the home he had built. He had run out of patience and energy for whatever was ailing Esther. He begged a local saloon owner named John White to take Esther in. John agreed. Esther would sleep in the dining hall of the saloon at night and work as a server during the day. But the manifestations continued. Crowds would gather in the saloon to watch Esther as she was followed around the room by furniture, appliances, and cutlery. One time she was stabbed in the back multiple times by a flying knife. In March of 1879, John White gave up on helping Esther. Just three months after allowing her into his home and saloon, he asked her to leave as he feared for his wife, children, and his business. Esther spent the next while on a farm in New Brunswick being monitored by doctors, clergymen, and a group of people who called themselves men of science. During her time being monitored and studied in New Brunswick, some knowledge was gained. It turned out that Esther was being haunted by several ghosts, six in total. Through the alphabet spelling communication exercise that they had established with the spirits, the men of science were able to identify the ghosts. All of the ghosts said that they had previously lived on Earth, but were now simply wandering. The leader and the meanest of the group was named Bob Nickel. Bob Nickel claimed to be a shoemaker when he was alive. The ghost who was second in charge went by the name of Maggie Fisher. She was also quite mean and had a real hate for Esther Cox. There was also a ghost named Peter Cox. He claimed to have been dead for 40 years and also stated that he was actually related to Esther. Peter was more of a peacemaker and often asked the other ghosts to refrain from using foul language and from breaking things. Peter Cox was not really interested in haunting people or scaring them. He was an older man who was content to just be a ghost. There was also Mary Fisher, who was the mean ghost Maggie Fisher's sister. There was a ghost named Jane Nickel, who was related in some way to the malevolent Bob Nickel. And then there was Eliza McNeil, who seemed to never bother anyone. In fact, it is said that Mary Fisher, Jane Nickel, and Eliza McNeil were not very good at being ghosts, as all they did was walk around the house and occasionally knock things over. Eventually, Esther returned to Amherst and to Daniel Teed and Olive's home after being studied in New Brunswick. It was at this time that Walter Hubble, the author of the book about Esther, came to stay at the home in Amherst for six weeks in order to observe the goings-on. Walter was a theater actor who had just finished a tour of a show in Newfoundland. 
While not a scientist or an expert in the occult, he simply wanted to observe the haunting firsthand and eventually write a book about what he saw. And the ghosts did not disappoint. Apparently the ghosts had a fondness for throwing cutlery at him at all hours of the day. He remarked how grateful he was that the knives in the home were so dull. He observed everything that the others had witnessed. Bedsheets flying through the air, glasses breaking, thunderclaps, people being stuck with flying sewing pins that seemed to come out of nowhere, and other such general ghostly behavior. Even the family cat wasn't off limits. One day the cat seemed to fly across the room. From that day forward, the cat preferred to stay in the yard with a permanently fluffed out tail. One evening, a floating trumpet appeared at the top of the stairs and began playing poorly. No one knows where the trumpet came from, as there was no one in the home who owned a trumpet. Walter also began communicating with the spirits. One exchange was particularly illuminating. Walter asked the ghosts a series of yes or no questions, to which the ghosts would bang one knock for no, three knocks for yes, and two knocks for an unsure response. Here is the exchange. Have you all lived on the earth? Have you seen God? Are you in heaven? Are you in hell? Have you seen the devil? Although many experts and observers were learning from the spirits and documenting their experiences, things continued to get worse for Esther. It seemed that the more popular that Bob Nickel and the ghosts became with all of the observers, the more intent they were to cause harm to Esther. She was constantly being stabbed with cutlery in the daytime, and then, at nighttime, she would swell up like a balloon and beg for death. Then the fires began again. One evening, Walter Hubble watched as furniture began to pile up six feet high in an upstairs room. The chairs and tables seemed to do it all by themselves. Eventually, a fire started below the tower of furniture. And then, as if in some bizarre finale, the furniture all collapsed on itself, dousing the fire. The ghost, Bob Nickel, took credit for this performance. Realizing that everyone's safety was still in peril, Esther packed her things and said goodbye to her sisters and the rest of the family. She was offered a home on a farm in the woods by some well-intentioned friends. Esther Cox would never return to the Teed family home. After Esther left, the little house on Princess Street returned to normal. All of the paranormal activity stopped. Daniel Teed, Olive, and their children returned to a normal life, as did the town of Amherst, Nova Scotia. Esther, however, lived deep in the woods on a farm with a family named the Van Ambergs. While on the farm, she enjoyed quilting, playing with the children, and cooking. In August of 1879, a year after Esther was assaulted by Bob McNeil, her life seemed to be returning to normal. After a year of being tormented by spirits and observed by strangers, Esther was calm and content. The manifestations, poltergeists, and hauntings seemed to again have ended. That summer, Esther began to tour with Walter Hubble. They had planned to go from town to town to tell her tale. They would sell tickets and share her story with the world. But after only two engagements, they canceled the tour. 
It would seem that audiences were not ready to hear her story. At one of the engagements, she was confronted and called a hoax and a fraud by members of the audience. For everyone's safety, they canceled the tour. In the autumn of 1879, Esther Cox returned to Amherst to work as a domestic helper for a local court clerk named Arthur Davison. Esther had only been there a few months when in November of 1879, Arthur's barn burned down. Esther was blamed for starting the blaze, but she insisted that it was actually a ghost who did it. When she explained this at the trial, the judge was not impressed, and Esther was convicted of arson. She was sentenced to four months in prison, but there was a public outcry. Many people believed that Esther was not in control and that the court should show mercy on her. She was released after just one month in prison, and again the manifestation stopped. This time, it seemed for good. There are no newspaper reports about Esther after this time period. No one can definitively say why the haunting stopped. Rumors have circled that Esther was cured by a Mi'kmaq shaman. Esther would eventually marry and live in Spring Hill, Nova Scotia, and then divorce. But she would eventually marry again. Apparently, her married life was never affected by ghosts. She was also able to become a mom, something she had always wanted. She had one son with each of her husbands. She ended her years quietly in Brockton, Massachusetts, where few people, if any, knew of her earlier fame as the haunted girl from Amherst, Nova Scotia. Esther Cox would die on November 8, 1912. She was 52 years old. Many theories by many experts have been hypothesized over the years to explain what happened to Esther Cox. Esther, her family, and those that were close to her family argue that what they experienced was real and was indeed supernatural. They believe that over the course of a year, they were victims of malevolent spirits hell-bent on scaring them and harming Esther specifically. Other people have called the whole thing an elaborate hoax. Others still have tried to explain things away with science or psychology. From the science perspective, there was this pervasive belief that somehow electricity in the household was to blame for the floating objects, noises, and fires. But this still does not explain the physical manifestations that so painfully affected Esther. The swelling, the redness, and the drastic changes in her temperature. Dr. William F. Prince made a detailed case for trickery by Esther Cox while in a dissociative state. That somehow, she was able to manipulate people into seeing things that weren't there. A more psychological approach looked at the long-term effects of the assault that Esther was the victim of. Could she have had a traumatic break due to the assault? In the 1870s, there was little to no knowledge of PTSD and the effects it has on a person's psyche. Studies have interpreted that the dated concept of hysteria was used as a vehicle of Victorian-era women's resistance suggesting that the manifestations may have been an expression of the powerlessness that Esther felt as a victim of assault and as a domestic worker in her sister's home. But this still doesn't explain what people other than Esther saw. Could there have been a degree of mass hysteria, confirmation bias, and exaggerated imagination? Did the people around Esther experience what they wanted to experience? Did the combined imagination of a large group of people exacerbate the situation and take advantage of a young person in an incredibly fragile 
and disassociative state? Is it possible that there is truth in all of these theories? Could a combination of science and psychology explain the great Amherst mystery? Or was it exactly what it was? That Esther Cox was haunted by the spirits of people trapped beyond the veil between this world and the next. Thank you so much for joining us tonight for this Halloween episode of True North True Crime. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We know it was a departure from the stories we normally cover. We hope you have a scary and safe Halloween. Watch some scary movies, eat some candy, drink a pumpkin spice latte, get out there and feel the crisp air on your face. As usual, we want to thank you all for joining us on this podcast journey. We truly do have an awesome group of listeners and we appreciate you all. Our producers on the podcast are Lisa Marie, Amy's Book Reviews, Thomas E., Susan S., Alex and Andrea P., Kennedy, Alberta, Cindy McD., Blair M., Alyssa S., CJ Gize, Anastasia, Ariel E., Melanie E., Kelly D., Carolyn M., Emily L., Jason D., Jimmy H., Tiffany C., Keith R., Mari M., Lorena, Queen Nebula, Maureen, Jesse D.R., Louise Rickshaw, and the Missing and Unexplained podcast. We will be back with a new episode in two weeks as we continue to cover the stories of missing people and victims of violent crime in Canada. So until then, stay safe, everyone. Stay safe and happy Halloween. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.